0: All right, brothers and sisters, we're going to dig into God's word in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me there as we will read and uh and dig into God's word hearing uh, a fresh word. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant and uh, I'm so thankful to have the opportunity to worship with you. And I just dropped that. So, um yeah, uh Welcome everyone uh, in the room, welcome everyone at home uh, as we together hear from the word uh, Luke 15. Now, uh, we're starting at a little bit of an odd point in a story, but it is a familiar story for many of us, so I'll orient us. This is the parable of the prodigal son that Jesus is teaching, and here's what's happened, okay? Uh, son comes to father, I want my inheritance, but, I'm, but, you're, but you're not dead yet. Dad says, here's the money. He goes off. He squanders the money in desolate living, the word says. He then is feeding pigs as a pig keeper and, uh, and uh, awakens to the fact that he's starving and the pigs are fed. All right, now you're up to speed. So here we go, beginning in verse 17 of the word. When he came, that is the son, came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. So we give thanks to Lord God Almighty. Uh, Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, in this space and time we come before you. Thankful for the wisdom of your word, thankful for the fact that you speak to us through the words on this page, and Lord, that it breathes life into us as believers. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see, our ears, that we would hear, open our minds, we come to know and understand your word, open our hearts, that we would feel its power. Then we ask, oh God, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, happy Father's Day, everyone. Uh, It's so good to see so many of uh, you fathers here in the room. This has been quite a season, uh, COVID-19. Many of you have had time at home uh, with family that is beyond what is normal. Uh, Praise God for that. Uh, Praise God we've had that time uh, at home. Praise God we've had that time with our kids. But let's be honest, Father's Day, even this year, is still just Father's Day. It's not Mother's Day, right? If it was Mother's Day, then there would have been breakfast in bed. Uh, there would have been roses on the counter. There would have been something glorious. And that's not bad. That's good. I'm just saying we're dads, and you know, so we're going to have some sort of meat today, uh, and that will satisfy us as fathers. But we need to, we need to pause a moment and, 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 and speak clearly on how essential uh, fathers are. For us as individuals, for our families, and for the world, let's be clear on that. We're, we're, not, we're not clear enough on it. We, we don't speak directly to it enough, and, and, and the consequences are damning. And so uh, there's some statistics I'm going to share with you about uh, what fatherhood looks like in the, the United States and what uh, this means for us moving forward as both a nation and for us as Christians, and particularly for you men in the room, I want to speak to you and appeal to you as Christian men, uh, considering what God has called us to do in this context according to the Word of God. The first statistic is, is this, uh, a couple of years ago, 33% of children in the United States of America, 24.7 million kids, lived in a home without their birth father. Now now we could run some comparison statistics and you look at the trajectory of the trend, right? You want to see what the li- trend lines look like. In 1960, it was just over 9%, and in, uh, in 2012, 20.7%, and now... Uh, the number of fatherless homes is over a quarter of the nation, and the number, uh, the percentage without a biological father is 33%. This is where we are. This is where we're going. And whenever the census numbers come out this year, uh, following the 2020 census, what's it going to be? Do you think that we've seen a correction? Do you think there's been a broad appeal, uh, a, a deep felt desire amongst the people of uh, of our nation and of our communities to shift this trend line? Are are we directing enough attention resources, prayer, and diligence towards it? I I, I think not. I think whenever the numbers come out, it's going to be even even greater. But what impact does that have? So what? This is the so what. 71% of all high school dropouts are from a fatherless home. Hold on, hold on. They, They make up a third of the population of the kids, but 71% of the high school dropouts are from a fatherless home. We know the importance of education. We know the importance uh, of, 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 that, uh, uh, of those basic learning skills and how they inform our capacities to, to, to function and to, and to grow and to have success. And here we are, 71% of high school dropouts. But it's, it's not just education. It's also incarceration. 85% of adolescents in prison, minors in prison grew up without a father in their home. Education, incarceration, they're numbers. This is statistics. It's cold. It's, it's true. It's real. They don't, they, they, they just provide us with context and data. But it goes further than that. It's not just education and incarceration. It's also substance abuse. 75% of all uh, all. Minors in substance abuse treatment facilities are from fatherless homes, 75%. Remember that this is a third of the population of of children making up 75%. And then to get even more uh, final, painful, sad, the truth is that 63% of youth suicides come from Households with the absent father. If these things don't move us spiritually, if they don't don't convict us to act, then where are we as a people? At the very least, we should feel the weight of these statistics because they're not numbers, they're people. People. They're not numbers, they're souls. And each and every one is precious, eternally precious to God and to us as the people of God. A couple of more statistics. Teenage girls are seven times, seven times more likely to become pregnant as teenagers if they come from a fatherless home. And children are four times more likely To end up in poverty if there's not a father in the home. Again, these aren't just numbers, these are your brothers and sisters in Christ. They are your daughters and your sons in Christ. And so we need, to, we need to lean in here. We need to speak more clearly about the importance of fatherhood. Brothers in Christ, I'm looking at you and saying we need to be more clear with one another about the role that we play and how critical it is that we father our children, that we father the fatherless. And we begin by looking at what is the image of a father that, that we receive in Scripture and how can we, brothers, hear from the word, and then act accordingly. Now, I have three kids. Addie's about to turn 16 this Wednesday. Aiden is 14 and Sam is 7, and they are each the light of my life. And I am overwhelmed in thinking about the broad-ranging responsibility that I have as a dad. And now I'm looking at the dads in there and I see on your faces that weight is there for you as well. I mean, one of the things that I often think about is, is how I am called to instruct, observe, and then encourage that is the pattern of, of my fatherhood role, uh, that I'm, I'm, I'm to teach them what I can, I'm to direct their path, I'm to orient their 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 lives, uh, understanding how it is that, that they are to, to to move and have their being in this world, but I know that they're going to then be their own person, and so uh, I'm going to observe for as long as I can, I'm going to watch how they're showing up and how they're showing out in the world, and then I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to encourage them and praise them whenever they get something right, and I'm also going going to encourage and, and, and critique them whenever they can do better. That's the pattern of our continued roles. We instruct, we observe and we encourage, but we all dread that day. Dads, you know what I'm talking about. We dread that day when that observation is no longer within our control. I had an emotional moment this week. Uh, This week I took my 15, soon to be 16-year-old daughter Addison to have her driver's test. And she passed with flying colors and I was so proud. I videotaped her parallel parking and I showed her the video of it afterwards and she was like, dad, I can't believe you videoed that. But she parallel parked like a champ. It was awesome. Uh, But here's the deal. The emotional moment of that is On July the 1st when she gets her driver's license, she's going to shoot me a text when she's upstairs and she's going to say, hey dad, I'm leaving, bye. And I won't be able to observe what's going on. I'll I'll, I'll be out of control. I can't reach across and grab the steering wheel. I can't can't offer those encouragements or corrections. I can't say, wow, that was great. And I'm facing the fact that two years from now she's going to be going off to college. And whenever she goes off to college, that's going to get super real. The loss of control, the loss of observation, the loss of daily engagement, it's all right there. And so we have to depend on the fact that we've instructed them well. And over the course of their time in our homes, we've encouraged them on the right path. And so we have this example of a father who who Jesus speaks to this Uh, this prodigal son who's not yet prodigal. Like we label him the lost son or the prodigal son, but we have to realize that at the beginning of the story, that's not who he was. He was a son. He was his father's son. And his father's son came to him and said, I'm a man. I'm grown. I want my own way. You have your way. I want my own way. You've made your path and you've built your life, but I want to make my path and build my life, so would you give me your inheritance? And the father said, surprisingly, counterculturally, culturally obliges and gives his son his inheritance and in so doing gives his son that element of freedom to go out into the world and make his own way. Now things weren't easy for the son. Uh, things then spiraled out of control. He, he found himself in desolate living. He lost all of his money. All of it. Uh, I, I feel like uh, the one word of, uh, of instruction and encouragement that, that this father might have wanted a, a, re, a redo on is, is, is budgeting and uh, fi- financial planning because this dude had no sense of where the money was going. It was, just a, it was just running down the drain, money down the toilet. And he found himself hungry, starving, and he was in a pig's pen. Can you imagine that? As as a Jewish man, as as one who would have been kosher, finding himself in the unholy of unholies amongst that which is not kosher, in the pig's pen, and he is feeding those pigs. And he looks down at the food that he's feeding the pigs, and he thinks to himself, "Uh, uh, how am I here starving? No food, no money, sitting in a pig's pen. And here these pigs have more food, better food to eat than I do. And he's, he's struck by this revelation. And it says, the, the word says that he comes to his senses. We'll, we'll speak more about that in a second, but, but, but think about that moment of awakening, this, this realization that things don't have to be like this. And so he comes to his senses and he decides that he's going to return to his father. But, but I want us to pause here and, and identify the truth of how the father engages the son and the potential expectation that would have been natural to assume about how the father could have should have or would have responded so first the son's expectation as he comes to his senses he says even servants have it better at my father's house than I do so i'm going to go and i'm going to say i'm not worthy to be your son i'm not worthy I have sinned. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I have sinned. I'm unworthy. I've sinned. And I deserve for my station to be changed. I was in a station of sonship, of favor. And now I deserve to be in a station of servant. Change my station and that will be enough for me. And so here we have this this, this expectation, this prediction of how the father would respond, and it's one of judgment, and it's one of, of identity change. So that's what he expects, but what does he get? What can we, as men of God, learn about what a father's response should be or would be if we were to live it out biblically? Well, this example of our Heavenly Father shows us a very different reality you, you see we have this image of of God the father on the on the on the front porch as it were because the scripture says that, that he looks out and when the son is yet way down the road a long a far way off he sees the son a far way off and he goes running to him so two things there. First of all, we have to know that he's looking for his son. And, that, and that's kind of what we do as dads, right? When we set a curfew for our kids and we're out of control and they're out in the world and we just sit on the couch and we stay up late and we're wondering, Dear God, please keep my child safe. And we are anxiously awaiting for them to come in. We're not waiting for them to come in so that we could, we, we could punish them for being late. We're waiting on them so that we could know that they're safe because they're loved. And that's what his father is doing. He's been waiting. I wonder how long he's been waiting. I wonder how many, how many days, months, years he's been waiting. But he's waiting and he's praying and he's sitting there. I imagine it rocking on a rocking chair on a front porch. And he looks off in the distance and he sees his son. And he goes running. Note that he went running. That's, that's, he's an he's a old man. And in a patriarchal society, he humbles himself to go run in public to meet his son. And his son is expecting to have himself be named unworthy and have his identity changed to servant, but rather he is received by his father with an embrace, a big, full, grace-filled, loving hug and kisses. And kisses. I think of this almost as though the father has experienced this moment that brought him back to the birth of his son. And it's almost as though for the first time he is holding him in his arms and he's hugging him and he's loving him and he is kissing him because of how precious his son is to him and even in the midst of this embrace even in the midst of these kisses even in the midst of his of his father's uh, humble run out to meet him he, he then feels compelled to, to, to say and invite this, this station change. He says, I'm unworthy. I've sinned. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. Change my station. Make me a servant. And, and the father doesn't even address it. He doesn't even speak to it. He, he acts as though uh, those requests uh, fell on deaf, literally deaf ears, because he says to his servants, quick, Make no delay with no hesitation. Quick, go get the robe and put it on him to reestablish who he is. Put a ring on his finger. This ring is the sign of our family. This ring is a sign of your name and your identity as my son. And you have that still. There is no station change here. Put sandals on your feet so you would have safety and protection. And we are going to celebrate We're going to throw a party. We're going to kill the fatted calf. We are going to celebrate because that is this moment's worth. You were lost and you're found. You're my son. He wasn't a father to this son because of his worthiness. He was a father because it was his son. That's all it took. That's all it took. Now, for many of us, we've had that experience with our earthly father. We've experienced love and grace in those relationships. But but I believe over the course of time, most of us, if not all of us, would and I, I believe should have others who offer that fatherly love for us. For me, I remember how critical a season it was in my life. My parents' marriage was 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 crumbling before my eyes. Uh, and when I was in my junior high years, my parents actually were divorced the summer before my eighth grade year. And every summer through those years, I would go up to my uncle's house in Ohio. My uncle Tom and my aunt Jan had no kids of their own, uh, but all of their nieces and nephews were their kids. My uncle Tom is an eccentric man. He he smoked a tobacco pipe until the doctors told him he could no more. Uh, he drives. A, 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 a paneled work van and, uh, and restores and renovates and rents houses for a living uh, he wears cut off jean shorts whenever he can and, and not just now that they're back in style all the way through brothers and sisters Right, my uncle is a unique cat and I'd go up for the summers particularly in the summer of 1993 when my parents divorce was going final I didn't spend days or weeks I spent months there with them And in the season that I needed it most, my uncle provided that grace-filled, all-encompassing, love-inducing, fatherly figure for me. He was a rock for me. But it wasn't just because it was for me. I remember that summer, we went on a youth mission trip with Reynoldsburg United Methodist Church, his church there in Ohio. Uh, And and the Mississippi River had had flooded all across its banks. And in Racine, Ohio, we went down for a youth mission trip. And, And I learned that summer that my uncle had been going every single summer, his entire adult life on youth mission trips with his church. And every one of the students in his church knew him. And all of them called him Uncle Tom. Everybody loved Uncle Tom, and and he had taught them all construction, and he worked with them, and he led them. And and, and I was struck by the fact that he wasn't just my uncle, and he wasn't just my loving, uh, uh, grace-filled father figure that summer. He was this entire youth group's example of that. And so in the afternoons, uh, when we got back from uh, from work, from backbreaking breaking work uh, in, uh, on the homes that we were working with, my uncle would teach everybody how to play four-square. And, and he'd have to reteach them because in elementary school, they were all taught about like cherry bombs and overhand four-square and like you could step in your square, but he taught like competitive four-square, you know, like, like, like where you couldn't stand in your square and everything had to be underhanded. And, and he, would, he would stand around and he would coach and he would encourage and, and he would teach and he was beloved in that community. And I saw that in my uncle, that he was able to be a father for the entire community. And people could turn to him and know that he loved him. And that God's grace was exemplified to the world in him. You see, brothers and sisters, whenever the prodigal son realizes The word says, comes to his senses, that is when he returns. And so if we, if we as the people of God are to expect people to return to the Father, to run to the Father, to come humbly to the Father, then, then we need them to have the same experience that that son had of his father beforehand. We, we need people to, to, to see what grace looks like, to experience what love feels like. So, so we can't just be satisfied with our own homes having fathers in them. You know, I do believe that we have a word to speak about the future of fathers' engagement in their own biological families, homes in the future, but we're not there yet. And until we get there, we, brothers in Christ, have a job to play in helping to raise this generation. May the world see in us the grace of the Father, may the world see in us the love of the Father so that they experience our embrace and our kiss, our our love that is unconditional, so that the world might come to its senses and return to our Heavenly Father, whose faithfulness endures from generation to generation. That is our heart's cry. That is our commissioning today. Men of Christ, love your families. Love the kids in your community. Love the kids of this world so that those statistics that would differentiate us based on whether or not there's a father in the home would go away because you were so loving. Coach, mentor, volunteer, show up over and over and over again. That is our calling, I pray in Jesus' name. Would you pray with me? gracious God you you our heavenly Father, are good you love us uh, with with intensity uh, with uh, with a perseverance spirit Lord, you continue to wait for us, you long for our return and so God we ask we ask that you would use us as instruments of introduction that we would introduce the world to this this love, this fatherly love. Use us, we pray, inspire us to action so that it wouldn't just be a passive resolve, but we would be called to engagement. Lord God, you you forgive, you restore, you redeem, and so we come to you. Use us, we pray, to inspire others as well. We lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen.